What if I don't want to think about the past? What if I don't want to dwell on what happened before? Sitting and dissecting every little detail of what I did wrong and what I could do better and where I'm bad. That's annoying. Why do I have to inventory the past? Can't we just move forward? <laughs> Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. Hey, Consciously, it's Menachem Posnansky. Welcome back. As I said the other day, I've been a little backed up. We have great interviews. I actually have one more today and uh, one coming up on Monday. Really, really awesome stuff. I'm just a little behind. <laughs> With a lot of things going on, so I'm a little behind in the processing. Being all by myself here at the Consciously Studios. Um, but I'm hoping to get it all out to you soon. Great stuff, actually. Oh, I have a third. I have so much stuff going on. It's great. So I've got to slow down making the content so I can get out the content. Uh, anyway, uh, if you're listening and you can subscribe to the podcast, uh, it seems like a lot of you listen on Apple, so do it there or any other place that you like to get your podcasts. Five-star review helps to get the message out. Really appreciate it. Also, uh, share us with your friends. Word of mouth is uh, the best way to build a community. I really feel like the Consciously community is building. I love when you reach out, uh, email consciouslythepodcast at gmail.com. I really like it. I really enjoy hearing from you. Um, especially on episode content. It's really great. Um, and I really feel like we're developing a good kind of uh, community of following. So please uh, continue. Also, we'll remind you to check out our social media pages, The Light Revealed, Consciously62 on Instagram and Facebook. There's a great series going on that's also taken up a lot of time on Sphira Saomer going through all the different 49 character traits. And I just kind of picked, I broke down each one into three and then kind of picked uh, one expression of them with a prayer. Um, I'm really loving doing it. I love working along with Tehila Nasanyan, who does the design work, and Zoe Posnansky, my daughter, you all have heard, who's doing some of the promotion stuff and also has given input. It's It's been a fun project. I'm really, really excited about it. And lastly, as always, you can find us on the Intentional Jew Podcasting Network, intentionaljew.com, and uh, take a look at our book, Consciously Six, uh, Six Steps to Living Vibrantly with Our Creator. Uh, it's great if I actually know the title of my own book. Anyway, we did a great episode earlier this week with Shmaya, uh, episode 10 in that series, kind of just looking at the book and exploring it, discussing it. You might say fabringing about it, uh, and that's awesome. Also, I'll mention I have a different podcast that I'm doing with Rav Mayor Prager, who's a dear friend and a mashpia, a guide, a mentor of mine called Practically a Fabrangian. Uh, we're going through different teachings of Hasidus through the lens or through the teachings of the Balhatanya through Tanya. Uh, it's amazing. It's great stuff. It's not really my stuff. It's Mayer's stuff. And I just get to sit here and pick his brain. Okay. So this is the fourth installment of a series we've been doing kind of under the, what does that mean series, but kind of focused on the 12 steps of recovery. And we've been following it month by month. We started from January. We did step one, February, step two, March, step three, and now it's April. So we're up to step four. And one of the questions that comes up when we get to step four is why? You know, okay, so in step one, we acknowledge our addiction or whatever it is that we're struggling with, acknowledge our powerlessness. Um, in step two, we develop a sense of uh, awareness of hope and maybe a picture of what our life might look like free of the problem. And then in step three, we dedicate ourselves. We make a commitment uh, to, first of all, turn 
our challenge over to God, turn our will and life over to the care of God, but also to make a commitment to kind of work on things. And the next thing that the steps do, and this reflects in Jewish spirituality as well, in the idea of cheshbon and nefesh, is we spend some time in reflection. And this also kind of relates to the idea of going to therapy. Why should I go to therapy? I have a problem when I just, instead of going to therapy, which is sound logic, let me get a life coach uh, instead of dwelling on the past. Let me get a life coach and start figuring out what I can do in the future. And step four kind of brings up the same question. Because it's definitely true um, that people can kind of become so preoccupied with the past, with trying to understand the underlying reasons, what, in reference to the fourth step, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous calls the causes and conditions, they can get so kind of lost in that that they don't really move forward. It's just like, uh, it's very counterproductive. It's not practical. So the question is why? Why do I have to do that? Particularly if we're aware that the solution that the 12 steps proposes is a life of service, a life of spiritual action, prayer, meditation, very like proactive actions. And why should I spend time reflecting on dwelling on the past, on my mistakes from the past, if I really should spend my time trying to figure out how I can develop a lifestyle of health for the future? And yet the steps don't do that. And yet the Jewish calendar doesn't follow that. One of the interesting things that you'll find is that in the Jewish calendar, the beginning of the year starts with some time reflecting on the past. Well, it kind of ends Elul, you know, as the month of Elul is kind of focused on dwelling or reflecting on or inventorying what happened in the past and trying to rectify that. But then there's the Aserosi Mechuva, the 10 days of repentance. Now, what's really confusing about that is why don't the 10 days of repentance happen before Rosh Hashanah? Why start off the year with the 10 days of repentance? Why not do the 10 days of repentance in preparation for beginning the new year and then jump right into Sukkot or why jump into Sukkot at all? Why not just get involved in life? We start the, the new year as Jews and we do this tremendous avoda, this tremendous spiritual effort of prepare, of welcoming in the new year, crowning God King. And then we distract ourselves ostensibly with seven days of repentance for the past. And then yet again, distract ourselves for another two weeks, celebrating our successes, culminating with the celebration of completing the Torah. Why don't we do that before the year? It seems very counterintuitive. So let's assume that the inventory process, the reflection process, acknowledging what's going right and what's going wrong is actually the best way to start a thing. And let's try to understand why. And specifically, the way in which the 12 steps inform that. So in order to answer that question, we have to kind of go back to a different question, which is, how do the 12 steps go about making this inventory process? What do they start with? You might assume that they would start with bad behavior, which to some degree there is a list of bad behaviors, but for the most part we don't really get back to bad behavior until step six, seven, eight, nine, really kind of where we seek to make amends. But where the steps begins, at least as it's laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I keep going back to because it's really the original text, and it's not exclusive, it's not the only way to work the steps, there is no one way to work the steps, so don't take this as a commercial or an advertisement for one particular way, it's not at all. But instead, for me, I find that if I want to understand the underlying intention, it's often useful to go back to the original text. So where does the big book start off? So it really starts off with resentment. And there's like a three-part inventory that the, that the big book suggests for a person's initial fourth step. The reason why I say initial fourth step is because if you look in AA literature, for example, there's a whole essay on step four that was written by Bill Wilson where he describes a totally different inventory process that includes questions on all sorts of areas of your life. 
But the question is, why does the big book specifically recommend, or why is the big book's way of doing it so effective? So what the big book does is that it recommends a three-part inventory that looks at resentment, areas of kind of stuck pain and anger that's in our hearts, ways in which people harmed us, uh, things that we have not been able to let go of. It talks about fear, and it talks about what's called a sex inventory, which in my understanding of it, for the most part, is really like an inventory of our shame and how we behave in the complex dynamics that occur in sexual type relationships, whether there's intimacy or not, right? Those relationships that are full of sexual tension or complication. So why? Why go there? Why go to resentment, anger, fear, and shame? Why do we need to uncover that? Discover where, what role we're playing in it? and then try to figure out how to discard it. Why is that valuable? Why is it valuable to, in a complex way, unpack our fear? Why is it necessary to relive our shameful circumstances? Especially when, for many of those, for example, that aspect of it, a direct amends, which we're going to do later on in the process of the steps, is inappropriate or not called for. And I think the answer is something that I heard from an AA old-timer, and this is the kind of the main message I wanted to get across today and the insight that it gave me into even what we discussed earlier, Lahavdil, which is kind of make a separation between what we learn from recovery and comparing it to our Holy Torah, what we can learn maybe about why the Jewish year starts the way it does. So there was, a, there was an AA old-timer whose name was uh, Sandy Beach, a remarkable speaker. He actually wrote, if you want to listen to a great talk, um, you can find it online. Um, he spoke at the AA International Convention in 1976, I believe. I can link it if I find it. It's on YouTube, I believe. I don't think it's a video, but it's an audio. It's a remarkable talk, um, well-known, because that's where he introduced the quote-unquote famous analogy of drop the rock. But anyway, I digress. At the end of his life, uh, he died a couple years ago. Sandy encountered some health problems related to his breathing, and he had a lot of pain. And he did actually a fair amount of talking. He went around to a lot of different areas and gave a lot of like broad talks on recovery, did weekend workshops, um, which is common in that culture. And anyway, and he was, he was in a lot of pain. So he wasn't always able to do it. He would schedule something and then cancel. But anyway, at one of these talks, which I, I listened to a lot because I found that if I really wanted to understand how to work with individuals in recovery. If I really wanted to uncover the beauty of the 12 steps, the best thing to do was to receive the experience, strength, and hope of the elders of AA. So anyway, so I was listening to a lot of these tapes of Sandy, great stuff, very funny. And he said something very powerful. He said, you know what the problem is with pain is that our whole program is focused on dropping our self-obsession, our preoccupation with ourselves. And we do that with service, and we do that through prayer and meditation, even in the prayers, let's say, that someone does in the 11th step, which we'll get to at a later point, the whole focus of the prayer as relates at least that process is to not focus on praying for ourselves, but only to focus on praying for God's will and our power to carry it out. A major component of the 12-step process is this, what's kind of called self-forgetting. And that's a big part of our Jewish faith as well, obviously, Bittel. Bittel Yeshus, forgetting ourselves, surrendering ourselves to God, committing ourselves to a broader agenda, even being part of a movement towards 
tikkun olam towards repairing the world, uh, being a mamlechas kohanim v'goy kadosh, a holy nation and a nation of priests. The whole idea of Mashiach is to be a light unto the nations, to reveal God's presence throughout all of creation, throughout all the world. The idea of self-forgetting is kind of central to spirituality, central to Judaism, and definitely central to recovery. And he said the problem with being in pain is that when you're in pain, you're all you can think about. That I had a hard time forgetting myself before, but I never realized how difficult it is to forget yourself when you're in pain. And that struck me very, very deeply. I don't remember the context of the comment, but what I understood at the time, which I do remember clearly, so I don't know if he said this directly in relationship to it, or my mind just made a connection, is that when I'm in deep emotional pain, when I'm in deep existential pain, I can't expect myself to not think about myself. Unless and until I clear the wreckage of my past by trying to uncover, discover, and discard the problems, I can't actually move forward in an earnest act of selflessness. Now, this is not to minimize the value of taking right action. This is not to minimize the value of a more proactive, goal-oriented intervention, which is often useful in someone's life. Not at all. But what it does say is that there is tremendous spiritual value and necessity when you're properly engaging a process after you've probably taken some action, because even through steps one, two, and three, there's action involved. People in recovery are going to meetings. They're being of service. They maybe take a commitment. There's many things that you do before you get to, let's say, step three or step four. And this, the same thing holds true throughout all of life. Yet at the end of the day, there's a tremendous spiritual value in taking a moment to step back, to reflect on what happened before, to uncover pain and suffering so that I have the opportunity to move forward, to blaze forward with a open heart and without preoccupation with myself. I think that's why the fourth step becomes such a critical process because the whole process of recovery is preparing ourselves for steps 10, 11, and 12, living a healthy life of service, of prayer and meditation, of reflection and proper action. And in order to do that, we're going to have to clear out the wreckage of our past. We're going to have to dislodge ourselves from shame and guilt by making amends where we're capable. We're going to have to gain a vision of where our character is broken or flawed and where we might evolve and develop our character to be the kind of person that we deserve to be. All of that can only begin when we take a step back to uncover, discover, and discard, to get rid of the pain to get rid of the abject, overwhelming, despairing reality that is our heart and soul oftentimes, to gain a conception of how dysfunctional our resentments are, how counterproductive they are, how holding on to resentment is like drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the person who hurt us when we are the only ones who are hurt, how insane and ridiculous oftentimes our fears are, and how valid some of them are as well, and how we might utilize faith to face those with courage. And then finally, to uproot our shame and to face ourselves and look at ourselves in the mirror, to look at another human being and to be able to see that life is complicated and that even though we've done some things that are wrong, even some things that are shameful, we are inherently good and deserve to live better. And then finally, as Bill says in his essay on step four, any inventory that's only in red is a faulty inventory. That's not the words he uses, but something to that degree. That if I'm only looking at what's wrong with my life, if I'm only looking at 
where I misstepped, then I'm not doing a good job of inventory. So then it's important for me to also take some time to figure out what I'm doing right and maybe what I could do better. And that I think gives us a little bit of an inkling into one of the reasons that we start the Jewish year with Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Aser Semei Tshuva, and finally Sukkot. To reflect back on what's occurred, to try to rectify, discover, uncover, and discard our emotional pain, our existential distress, and also to celebrate what's gone right, to step outside of our fixed reality, the safety of what we know, for a new and fresh experience like the sukkah, a diras arai, a structure that requires constant renewal, basking under the shade of God's glory, culminating in a celebration of our accomplishments. When we do that, then we can, we're ready to face life. We're ready to face the darkness of the winter, the challenges of the abundance of the rainy season, the long wait until the spring, to walk the path of life towards the mincha chadasha, the sacrifice of the day of Shavuot, where we have a new and fresh experience and start the process all over again. Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of the Living Room, which is a division of Our Place, New York, made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, in memory of Tsipora Basravaron. The host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to email us or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Oh,